Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed exclusively by women-identified directors, which prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is my co-host, truly one of my favorite people on this planet, a human chaos magnet, (laughs) Ariel. Hi. <laughs> hey, Ariel. How's your day been so far? Anything <sighs> surprising? <laughs> it's been a day for multiple reasons, and you know, only know one of them so far. But... Really? There's a mo- I mean, honestly, that would be the craziest thing that happened to me all year. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe not. But like, at least a month? <laughs> at least a month? <laughs> and you had multiple per day? All right. I'm just going to yeah. shut up because how, yeah, how, how so... goes this? <laughs> So this morning, insomnia being what it was, I woke up super early. The sun wasn't out yet. Decided to take my dog for an early morning walk. My dog really likes to befriend cats. Okay. I thought befriend? I saw... <laughs> Actually befriend or go and... and no, no, no. Harris. She wants to be friends because my cat Raja is like her best buddy. Aww. And so she mistakenly believes that every cat wants to be friends with a dog. They do not. <laughs> It sometimes ends in tragedy, but, uh, and usually for my dog, cause she's tiny. She's so small. <laughs> um, but anyways, this black cat was what, what I thought was a black cat was walking past me and my dog Shia goes running towards it. And I kind of pull her back cause I don't want her to get bopped by a cat. Turns out it was a skunk. The skunk did not like this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you think? <laughs> and I got gassed. <laughs> gassed. Yes. <laughs> I feel like there's a euphemism for what just occurred to you. <laughs> was it a spritzing? Was it a full-on spray? Did you get the fire hose, a funk? I did not feel wetness, but it was like a cloud of deathly odors that just vapor. You had the vapors? Yeah. So Yeah. Uh, how many times is this that you have been skunked? <laughs> I've only really been skunked three times. So, oh <laughs> first of all, three times, wild. Secondly, the qualifier. <laughs> only really, like well, the other skunkings were fake. What? No, I just wasn't as close, you know. So one shower did the job, as opposed to multiple okay. showers with okay. tomato juice. What is of. the grand total? I, oh, I have no idea. A what? Lot. Could well, you count them on both of your hands? <laughs> Maybe. What? Possibly. I used to live in an area that had lots of skunks. And when we take mean... our dogs for walks, we would sometimes get, you know, hit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you realize that this is not normal. <laughs> Most people are, never get skunked. The major- vast majority of people have a zero on the skunkometer. Okay. Huh. Multiple skunkings? <laughs> Multiple, I feel, is rare. For you to be practically in the double digits, potentially more so, blows my mind. <laughs> I'm starting to I don't know wonder, are you the victim in this or are you harassing me? <laughs> I mean, you're look, if I could walk up and pet a skunk, I totally would. But I mean, usually... me too, but I know better. You know, I don't know that I've ever seen a skunk in person outside of the zoo. Really? I don't know that what? I've ever seen one aside from a dead one. Oh, in that's crazy. Its natural habitat. Interesting. Not a lot of skunks in the in the suburbs. Well, 
my dad lives in the suburbs and that's where I was skunked in my bedroom. So Right. You're the only person I know that has been skunked multiple times inside their own bedroom and that does not actually <laughs> own a skunk. <laughs> It'd be one thing if you had a pet skunk or you ran a skunk farm or you were sure, rehabbing sure. Uh, troubled skunks i don't know but <laughs> oh, you that'd be a cool job that would be a cool job they're stinky have you ever seen the people who are rescuing orphan skunks and you see them with like baby skunks oh, they're like all the little skunks no. they do this thing where they like stamp their back feet to let you know they're upset which by the Aww, way maybe so you didn't cute. know that they do that so if they start doing that don't <laughs> run <keep> away going <laughs> but yeah so there's baby skunks that are learning to practice their little butt stomps it's so cute Although I'm guessing probably PTSD triggering for you at this point. That sounds so cute. So last time you got skunked, again, before a podcast recording, the only thing you had in the house to with which to do battle with the funk was a jar of extra <laughs> oh, chunky right. spaghetti sauce. <laughs> how are you attend? First of all, how do you not just have jars of spaghetti sauce in, or uh, tomato sauce in your house or tomato you juice? You know what? I, I totally should. When we lived up near Redwood Park in Oakland, we used to keep giant jars because our dogs got skunked so many times. But I don't anymore. Luckily, I was going to make enchiladas. And so I had a bunch of those little cans of tomato sauce, you know, that you use as the starter for a sauce. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of thin tomato sauce stuff yeah 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 yeah. so that's what I used this time (laughs) (laughs) and was it effective do you feel like uh I think so I don't know if my coat will ever be the same we shall see (laughs) but yeah it just takes a lot of showers I feel like most people would be panicked when they happen it for you now you're probably just like oh here we go again (laughs) it's just really annoying more than anything (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so beyond skunking, did anything else? I mean, that should be the end of the story. Is there, but is there more? There is. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. okay. So, All right. Let's hear it. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this story because it's kind of embarrassing. But... All right, I'm back in. I'm back in. Let's hear it. <laughs> All right. So my mom had a video doctor appointment with a new specialist today. Okay. So I sat in on the appointment with her. And as the doctor was asking her all of those sort of initial questions, one of the things she asked was about whether you snore or not. My mom was like, um, I don't think so. And then the doctor turned towards me and said, you know, maybe I should ask you because as her partner, you're probably more aware of her snoring than she would be. No, 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 this is the worst version of like, you can't be mother daughter you must be sisters this is the worst (laughs) version of that right so this woman either thought that my mom was robbing the cradle or that i look like somebody in their late 60s it made me seriously question the whole growing out my gray hair thing you know like (laughs) if i need to stop doing that i I just sat there stunned i was like oh my god (laughs) what is happening Oh dear it's god. It's so much worse than thinking she's my sister. It's so much worse. Right? Right? right. <laughs> that's that's rough. I don't really know what to say except for maybe your mom maybe it means your mom's super hot. There's also okay. that option. Maybe your mom doesn't look 60, maybe she looks 40 and you guys are just like a hot ass couple. 
I mean, that's still a really weird it's statement. Still- <laughs> I'm just saying that there are versions so of bad. this that are only traumatizing and not like um, also insulting, requiring a bunch of self-reflection. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> How quickly did you go to Amazon and order yourself a box of fairy? Oh my god, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I think you look beautiful. Oh, you're but so I sweet. do. And also, you got to take in video quality. <laughs> like I wouldn't say that you have lightning fast internet. So maybe there was a lot of pixelation. Let's hope, man. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had a day. You had a you had right? a day. Thank you. I mean, aside, if, smelling like a skunk and being called your mom's partner is not a great ego trip of a day. No. I have to say. I fortunately no. know that you're wonderful and beautiful and, and all of those things, <laughs> so nice. but I can imagine if I were on the other end of the receipt, I mean, you really got the shit out of the stick on Yeah, today. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was like afterwards, like, oh, she must think I look so young. And I'm like, but what if she just thinks I look really old? Well, I mean, I, I'm kind of team your mom theory. I like this idea that your mom's just a smoking hot babe. <laughs> and uh, they assume, like, wow. Oh, God. And I mean, they would have to assume that to have pulled you, right? So, still, <laughs> this is it's funny. weird because it's your mom. Okay, let's move on. Let's move yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I'm Good trying idea. to make you feel Good better, idea. and it's getting progressive. I'm going to have to weirder. seriously consider whether I cut this section out. <laughs> I mean, considering pre show, I was telling you how hot your brother is, it's weird that I'm now t- imagining how hot your sister is. So. I think we're both having a day of self-reflection at this point. <laughs> oh my god. I think we need to talk about the movie yeah, now. <laughs> we're going to be talking about a little movie called Near Dark, directed by Karen Kusama. Nope. Uh, nope. That nope. is also incorrect. <laughs> I am clearly rattled. We are going to be talking about Near Dark, directed by Academy Award winning director, Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. I got there. I got there. This is weird. Uh, no housekeeping or corrections. Let's, let's get into it. What's our spoiler policy? <laughs> All right. So we are going to spoil this movie. But first, we're going to tell you about the director and the production of Near Dark and some information about Catherine Bigelow. And then we're going to give you a non-spoiler review. We'll sort of tell you whether this one's worth checking out. And then everything's up for grabs, and we're going to spoil all the twists and turns, the ending, everything. Yeah. That's the plan. I like it. I'd say so, we stick to it. Okay. So this movie is harder to find, just yeah. to put that out there. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like it's worth throwing a little cash at if you can find it somewhere. Yeah. 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 I mean, this thing's a classic. It's already in your uh, collection, I assume. Right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's kind of weird that it's so out of print because I feel like every horror fan I've ever talked to has liked this movie. Yeah, it's yeah. also any time you look up a list of women-directed horror films, yeah. like number one is either this or Babadook. Like, right. <laughs> it's just, this is, <laughs> in my non-spoiler review, I, I refer to how this is kind of a, on the Mount Rushmore of women-directed horror films. This one's, you know, old Georgie Washington, yeah. essentially. Yes, so, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, you're right. It is weird that it's kind of hard to get your hands on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a weird episode. <laughs> <laughs> so where were we? All right. So, <laughs> all right. So Near Dark is pretty hard to find online. I suspect that a lot of you guys will be able to get your hands on a copy. But if you're having trouble, I would suggest two things. One, eBay. Mm. Two, and I'm not 
positive how legit this website is, but I have ordered from there before and I got the, you know, real movie. It's rare DVDs, plural, dot biz, hmm. B-I-Z. I mean, that biz is sus. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> right. But, you know, could but be they legit. do have near dark, so you can order it and it's only $10. I mean, hopefully so, they'll proceed with caution, I guess. Hopefully they'll do a re-release of this. It's weird. I feel like they're leaving money on the table. You know what I mean? If they don't. Right? Yeah, I totally There's gotta agree. There's got to be like some anniversary or something coming up. I'm not doing the math because I'm not a mathematician and I will just embarrass myself. <laughs> but there's got to right? be some anniversary or something coming up, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the 40th anniversary, <laughs> which makes me feel like I'm a mummy, oh, but whatever. Anyway, let's move forward. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Let's go ahead and get into this. Ariel, tell me a little bit about the director and the background of this movie. I'm sure the degree of trivia you could probably find for this, we could spend a week on. Oh, yeah, easily. I had to cut a lot of stuff to make this not take Yeah. Years, so <laughs> Sometimes the frustration is there's not enough information out there. Yep. And then you get a near mm-hmm. dark where, like, uh, the lore is extreme. So... Yeah. <laughs> so Godspeed. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> All right. So Near Dark was directed by Catherine Bigelow. She grew up in San Carlos, California, and studied painting at the San Francisco Art Institute. And then in the early 1970s, she actually moved to New York City to participate in the Whitney Museum's independent study program. And then she became interested in filmmaking. And eventually she earned a scholarship to the graduate film school at Columbia University. And that's where she made her first short film. She had sort of been getting interested in film, but didn't have the money to get all the equipment she needed to actually film stuff. And so that's why she took this scholarship to Columbia, because they had all of this equipment she could use. Mm, Very cool. So after graduating from Columbia in 1979, Bigelow began working on her first feature length movie. So in 1981, She co-wrote and co-directed a film called The Loveless about a motorcycle gang that starred Willem Dafoe. She's so cool. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And amazing because like, especially when you can think of the context of truly the limited numbers of women working in genre at that time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Trailblazer. So after that, she started getting scripts sent to her. But unfortunately, most of them seemed to be high school comedies. And she was not interested in that Mm. at Mm -mm. all. So she took some time off from filmmaking and began teaching at the California Institute of Arts in 1983. But she got back into film and her very first solo directing gig was Near Dark, the movie we're talking Mm. about today, which she also co-wrote with Eric Redd in 1987. And I'll tell you more about the making of that in a little bit. After that, she went on to direct Blue Steel, starring Jamie Lee Curtis. And then, of course, Point Break. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) She directed several episodes of Homicide Life on the Streets, which I was sort of excited about because that was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. And and then she directed Canine the Widowmaker Mm. and The Hurt Locker, just to name a few. She's directed a bunch of stuff. In 2009, at the 82nd Academy Awards, The Hurt Locker was nominated for nine Oscars and won six, including... Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. Amazing. I know. I know. It's so cool. But this is the sad part. This made Catherine Bigelow the first woman to ever win an Academy Award for Best Director. That's okay, though, because since then, just wall-to-wall women directors nominated and winning. It really was a sea change. I mean, can a guy get a (laughs) chance since then? She really, yeah. 
Yeah. Like the democracy, like the feminist agenda, really, <laughs> it really did uh, rear its head here. So after 82 years, she won the first Oscar directed by a woman. And then in 2021, <laughs> the second woman to ever win the Best Director Award won. That was Chloe Zhao for No Man Land yeah. just last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's dark, man. <laughs> Two, two. Jesus, <laughs> so crazy. It's so fucking grim. So grim. Yeah. And you know what? There's if they had not had that whole campaign of Oscars so white and broadened that group of yeah. people who were actually voting in the Academy, Chloe probably never mm-hmm. would have won, which is bullshit. I mean, I haven't seen Nomadland and I've heard some divisive things about it, but I've seen The Eternals, and that movie is gorgeous. Whether you liked it or not, it is <laughs> beautiful. All right. So after The Hurt Locker, she directed Zero Dark Thirty, Mm -hmm. which was the second of three movies she made with journalist Mark Bull. And that one had a little bit of controversy surrounding it because (laughs) of how much it showed torture, Uh (laughs) you know, Uh those enhanced interrogation techniques, a.k.a. torture. So uh, some people obviously thought that it was gratuitous and other people thought you know, that it should be shown. People in the U.S. should know that this is going on. You got the idea. Yeah. Then in 2017, she directed the third film she made with this journalist called Detroit, based on the Algiers Motel murders mm-hmm. during Detroit's 1967 12th Street murders and riot. So that came out and commemorated the 50th anniversary of the event. And upon its release, there was another controversy over whether it was appropriate for a white woman to tell this story about the black community. Mm-hmm. In an article with the Sydney Morning Herald, though, Catherine Bigelow said, quote, I did hesitate. I thought exactly that. Am I the right person to make it? Probably not. On the other hand, I have an opportunity to make it, and it's been 50 years. So my desire to tell this story and my opinion that it needed to be told mitigated my concern. I think systemic racism hurts everyone, so it's incumbent on everyone to resist it. And it isn't something that, you know, the African-American community is responsible for. It's the white community. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to tell that story, that's the right frame of mind to have. Is that criticism still totally valid? Absolutely. Because the issue is, who are the opportunities going to? You know what I mean? Right. But I think it's a perfect encapsulation of how complicated that is. Yeah, you know, and she definitely is a filmmaker who has kind of put herself in spaces that people do not expect women to be in, like a vampire Western, something about, you know, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. You do not think of a woman director doing that because they get so pigeonholed. And I think in this case, it's much more complicated. So I think people who take issue with that are 100 percent right. I do think there is a grain of validity to what she says, though, because it is mm-hmm. our job as anti-racists to, like, do the work, you know? Right. But does that also mean that being a director qualifies doing the work? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I see what she's yeah. saying, but I don't know that it's like, necessarily Like, the sentiment is true. correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The execution, question mark. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So since then, she's made a short film in 2018 and then nothing more since. Most of the films that she's made, like you were just alluding to, have been sort of things that you would think of as being more traditionally masculine. Mm -hmm. War movies, movies about cops or gangs, a vampire western, 
One set on a submarine. Right. Right. That's what Widowmaker's about. I remember now. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's called K-9. I always thought it was a dog movie. (laughs) It's K-19. Oh, right, 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 right. But my brain was like, nope, that's a dog movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So stupid. (laughs) So dumb. So... Even though this is true and people have brought this up throughout her career, she's pushed back on the idea that she has brought a feminist perspective to her work. Mm. A lot of people in interviews have asked her about this. In an interview with Cinema Papers in 1992 that she did right after making Point Break, she said, quote, I don't think there's a feminine eye or a feminine voice. You have two eyes and you can look in three dimensions and in a full range of color. So can everybody. What about a woman's background would make that vision different? See, I think the opening scene of this movie is a total contradiction to that. Because as a writer, you write what you know. You write from your own lived experience. cannot help Mm -hmm. but be weaved into the fabric of whatever it is that you're creating. That's a shame. I hate that quote. I know. I know. I do too. Um, But Mm -hmm. I thought it was important to bring up because, one, she said it. (laughs) And she said similar things to this in multiple interviews that I read. But I also remember when I did the episode on Julia DeCornow that she said something kind of similar to this about not wanting to be considered a woman director, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think that maybe what some of this is, is them pushing back because they're constantly getting asked about that piece of it, you know? And maybe they don't want to be pigeonholed that way or something. I mean, there is some I think part of it the, is like that she was like create, fighting for space. Yeah. Having to like constantly answer for being a woman and just mm-hmm. being like, do not see me as this way. I am a filmmaker. You're like, I can kind of understand yes. sort of, what is it like first wavy to some degree? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just think the problem is that exactly what you said is you're that is your perspective. That's where you're coming from mm-hmm. is the lived experience of a woman. And that, of course, is going to change the way that you do things just so I mean, in the same way that any other kind of if you were part of any other sort of marginalized group, or if you grew up poor or rich or whatever, like all of this stuff influences how you're going to make your art, you know, it can't help but influence it. Yeah. And I think it's it's very telling, though, that it, she's trying to distance from that part of her lived experience. Yes. And I think some of that maybe because the, this quote, for instance, was from 1992, you know, yeah. and she really was one of very few women yeah. making directing movies and probably one of the only ones directing these types of movies in such a male space. You know, I wonder if now if if she was asked about it now, if her answer would change at all, because she seems like someone yeah. who's pretty thoughtful and unless mm-hmm. someone crafted that and it's possible that somebody crafted that answer about Detroit. Oh, yeah, that's actually very You know what true. I mean? Unless somebody yeah. like, which mm-hmm. probably it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? She knew that question was going to mm-hmm. come up. But my hope is that it's actually reflective of her true beliefs, which makes me think she's someone who is a feminist, but yeah. also grew up with the stigma of saying that and having yeah. to push back about uh, against that kind of thing. It's such a shame. I could easily yeah. see that being true. Still, it's hard yeah. to hear, though. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I get it, but also, ugh. <laughs> Yeah. Right in the heart. So so as for what she's up to now, um, like I said, she hasn't directed a movie for a few years, but she has teamed up with filmmakers from all around the world to make a three-part docu-series called Year Zero. She's producing it. And the series will look back at the uncertainty of early 2020 and tell stories such as that of a sex worker, a poacher, a commando, and a modern monk, supposedly. Hmm. 
And it was filmed 100% remotely during the pandemic. Interesting. Um, no word, though, on when it'll come out. Interesting. Well, when it does, I'm sure it'll be interesting. Because she is an interesting filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> All right. So on Making Near Dark, originally, she and her writing partner had actually envisioned making a full-on Western mm-hmm. But they ended up moving it into modern times and adding the vampire element in order to attract financing because they were having trouble with that piece mm-hmm. of it. Producers ended up liking the script a lot, but they were hesitant about having Bigelow direct. Can you guess why? Mm, <laughs> they didn't like her last name, how it's like big and low. So it's like big budget, <laughs> low profit. That's, I, that has to be it, right? <laughs> Right? Like, it's Bingo. like, yeah, superstition. That's why. That's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Also, because men sees. <laughs> oh my God. Another t shirt slip raise right there. Also, because yes. men sees. Also, men <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Add it to the list. But luckily, because she had written it on spec, the sale was contingent on her nice. being the director. So in an interview that I watched, she did a video interview with the LA Times in about 2010. And in that interview, she said that the producer who signed on to this movie only agreed to have her direct if he could fire her after the first set of dailies. Yeah. But she filmed the scene of the shootout at the motel and secured the job. it's a great (laughs) scene. It's such a great homage to, you Mm -hmm. know, that outlaw Western genre. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Cut that. (laughs) No, don't leave it in. Leave it in! (laughs) You know if I'm talking about you or not. It's only offensive to you if you're a boy that sucks. (laughs) You don't suck. I'm not talking about you. All right. So newer listeners to this pod or any of the zombie girls podcasts may not know that rachel's favorite movie of all time is Mm. aliens (laughs) don't say (laughs) (laughs) and there are three actors from aliens in this movie lance henriksen who played bishop in aliens bill paxton who played hudson and of course jeanette goldstein who played Mm -hmm. vasquez So there are conflicting stories about how these three actors ended up in Near Dark. So Near Dark came out in 1987, and from 89 to 91, Catherine Bigelow was married to James Cameron, Mm -hmm. who directed Aliens. So there are some articles that I read that said that Cameron suggested she use these three actors because they had already worked together. So they sort of would already have that familial Mm -hmm. feeling on Mm -hmm. screen which is what she really wanted other articles said that bill paxton got the script shared it with lance hendrickson and then bigelow auditioned all three actors before contacting cameron to see if he minded her using so many of the same actors see that's interesting because there's a bit of lore that actually there was a different person that they were considering initially for jesse cotton lance hendrickson oh who is it michael bean who played Hicks really? in oh, Alien. interesting. But he supposedly yeah. read the script and was like, I don't get it, passed on it, and Lance was like, I get it. So I don't know, maybe that's, again, that's the lore that I read, so that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean it's true. It, it could be all part of this. Mythology. I will say, <laughs> though, there is a lot of direct Aliens things in the movie itself. Right, even the marquee on and the movie James Cameron shows up in this movie. <laughs> so right. I kind of am leaning towards the first story. What do you think? Yeah, 
I mean, I think that that, that makes mm-hmm. sense that he would have suggested it or that she would have said, Hey, what if I use mm-hmm. them? You know, because they were dating. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So side note that I forgot to mention earlier is that when the Hurt Locker won Best Picture Oscar, she beat out James Cameron's film Avatar. Uh, I mean, I, I'll i be honest, awesome. I haven't actually seen the movie, but it gives me joy. And also Avatar sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a technical marvel for the time, but the story right. is. Right. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like it in Pocahontas and I didn't like it in Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just real quick, some other fun facts about the making of Near Dark. So when they filmed the scene of Caleb running towards his father's farm, he had to actually wear a smoke machine under his mm. clothes to get that it's burning really cool. effect. Mm-hmm. They built the bar from scratch, knowing that they intended to destroy nice. it. And it's the, mo- it's the film's most complicated scene, and it took them the longest the to shoot. scene. Yeah, it is. Bill Paxton in that scene actually ad-libbed both the theft of the sunglasses what? and the line, I hate it when they ain't been shaved. Oh, those are so great. great. Such great iconic I moments know. in that scene. <laughs> yes. Oh, so good. <laughs> He's great He's in this. So great in this. So in the movie, the guns that they use are all obviously filled with mm. blanks. But prior to filming, Bigelow brought the cast to gun ranges to let them experience the weapons with live ammo and sort of get more comfortable with how they felt so that they would be more realistic when they were using them. Okay, this one's interesting. Henriksen prepared for the role by driving cross country to the filming location and picking up hitchhikers along the way. And he dressed in the wardrobe with long nails and hair extensions really there are probably some people who like have no idea they're they just had some insane (laughs) run-in this guy was so weird he had the longest dirtiest (laughs) fingernails little did they know (laughs) i just think that's i love lance henrickson can i just tell you on this podcast barring we find out he's a horrible person we stand lance henrickson yes yes my love of bishop knows no bounds Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, Bigelow actually encouraged the actors to come up with ideas about their characters and even had them improvise on how they would block out the sun while they were driving around town. And they were the ones that came up with the idea of using aluminum foil oh, on the windows. smart. Smart. What they needed to do, though, was get a watch. To time it? <laughs> so that they stopped being outside while the sun was <laughs> that would have solved so many problems problems. get an alarm (laughs) clock (laughs) oh man all right so unfortunately near dark had the misfortune of being released just two months after the lost boys came out and because it didn't have the same built-in teen audience because of who was in the lost boys and it was darker and more introspective. It was a box office flop at the time. Damn. But luckily, it's gone on to cult status in the horror community. Oh, my God, yes. And hopefully, one day, they'll put out a good release of it. I I guarantee you it's going to fall yeah. on some anniversary. They're going to be like, 40 years. God. Yeah. I, I have to stop saying that. Every time I do, another <laughs> one of my hairs turns gray. Like, I got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was my niece sent me a couple TikToks, so I was on there and I saw this video and it played a clip from that 
TV show about the two twin boys. You know, one of them's on Riverdale, whatever that show is called. Something in Cody. Sure. Damn it. I'm already feeling old just talking about this. because I, I mean, I'm too old to know what the, the fuck you're talking about. So but I'm just this nodding. This young woman was freaking out because she realized that that show started 14 years ago. And I realized I'm so old that I was even too old to watch that show <laughs> when it was on. <laughs> oh, The Sweet Life of Zach does your and Cody. niece actually was. hate you? Like, <laughs> trolling? No, no, no. She didn't send me that. It was just one that popped up. Oh, the algorithm <laughs> was trolling you. Got it. Yes. Was it followed up by yes, some really was. great moisture? rising routine video <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so rachel yes what did you think about this movie oh. in a non-spoilery yeah, way non- okay all right so first of all was this a first watch for you i don't remember oh god okay no. okay all right so like i was saying this is just one of those classic horror movies that are always without fail number one or number two listed whenever you see a woman in horror list so it has been at least 15 years since i've seen this movie probably longer Mm -hmm. so one of the Mm -hmm. things i wanted to see when i went back and revisited this was we've seen a lot of growth and a lot of new horror movies directed by women in that light does near dark still hold up and yeah i'm very delighted to say i think it i think it does and I, oh, good. And I think yeah, me too. partly because even though it's charmingly very much a product of its time, it's also very contemporary. And that's why mm-hmm. I'm saying, especially in that opening scene, it feels like commentary on gender dynamics that we're having now more so in horror. So I got to enjoy it from a nostalgic perspective, but also since I was looking at it for the first time with a critical eye, I was able to engage with it in a way that didn't feel like, ugh, I have to kind of like cringe through this because I know it's from the 80s. There are a few lines here and there that obviously have not (laughs) aged well, but for the most part, in terms of what the movie is talking about, what it has to say, like what kind of parts of culture it reflects, I think it's pretty contemporary. So it's a movie that I think a contemporary audience could easily engage with without it feeling super dated. And this movie is just cool. (laughs) This movie is just (laughs) dripping with cool. It is such a vibe. The score by Tangerine Dream is amazing. The styling of the vampires is amazing. And I think when you look at something, it's funny that we did this unintentionally back to back with a, a girl walks home alone i know both vampire westerns and and you can really see the legacy of this movie in that movie when you see them back to back like this casting incredible bill paxton is at his unhinged best i know we're going to talk more (laughs) about this yeah i just i just love this and of course the aliens crossover delights me to no end i just think it's unique unpredictable and such a vibe i think if anyone who likes horror movies that are Maybe a little style over substance, but it's unique substance. I think we'll have a really good time with this movie. I think it it does belong in the sort of annals of women directed horror. Um, (laughs) You know, I think it deserves its place in that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I hadn't seen it in years either, a very long time. Were you a little nervous? Like, oh, please don't suck. Yeah, a little bit because (laughs) I had remembered watching it over and over again and really liking Mm -hmm. it, you know, but... Again, not not everything holds up well right. that you watched when you were growing oh, no. up. So no, 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 no. I was <laughs> so I was delighted to see this movie and how great it was. Yeah. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. 
It's so much fun. And it's so you're right. It's very different. I think it holds up remarkably well. I love that you get that gritty, dirty, sweaty Western aesthetic, but that it's mixed with the vampire stuff and like you were saying the great 80s synth score oh my god (laughs) it is that score slaps it's so good i've been listening to it today while i was writing my notes i was like fully (laughs) vibing out (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's so good and yeah the performances are great especially bill paxton and lance henderson i feel like those two roles are iconic Mm -hmm. and they both do such a good job in very different ways in this movie i know we'll get into that more but they're fantastic. And one of the things that I think surprised me the most is just how sort of real and lived in all of these characters Yes, feel. yes. And that you get bits and pieces of their backstory and sort of who they are without a single exposition dump in the whole thing. Yeah. So. That's a good point. Yeah, that really surprised me. And I like that it follows a lot of the same beats as a Western movie mm-hmm. and that it has this sort of heartbreaking story in the middle of it, too. Yes. It's just it's really good. And I think that most horror fans are going to like this one. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very easy movie to recommend. Agree. I watched it with my partner and it was a first watch for them. And they were like, oh, really? They were like, this movie is so cool. I was like, I know. <laughs> I know. It's cool. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. So. Those are our thoughts. I feel like they're pretty strong recommendations. If you've never seen this, I do think it is pretty unconventional in some ways. And so there are things that could be spoiled. So if you are spoiler sensitive, maybe dip, go to that dot biz (laughs) thing, head to eBay, (laughs) scoop up a DVD copy. But if you've seen it before or you don't care about spoilers or you're just like, I can't wait, then uh, we're going to get into spoilers now. And this is me giving you time to go. Hopefully that was ample time because now I'm going to tell you the synopsis, which is going to spoil everything. So you have been (laughs) warned. GTFO, come back soon. Let's get into it. Caleb is a young man from a small town, I think in Texas who has a a bit of a creeper vibe to begin with, when he meets a young drifter named May. Right away, they have this weird, intense chemistry. And so when he's driving her home, being a total creep, Mm -hmm. they end up making out and she bites him, doesn't kill him, but ends up, oops, turning him into a vampire. So he tries to go home, but the sun is a beaten and he starts to catch on fire. And it looks like it's a wrap for young Caleb until an RV pulls up just in the nick of time and pulls them into it. And Caleb's father and sister witness this, by the way, and so they think he's been kidnapped. Turns out the people in the van are May's sort of, I guess, kind of chosen family, which is a group of vampires led by Jesse. And there's a young kid named Homer. Jesse has a love interest in Diamondback. And then there is the (laughs) resident psychopath, Severin, played by the glorious Bill Paxton. (laughs) Turns out they're They may all be vampires, but they are super hostile to Caleb. He doesn't want to kill, but they give him basically a short period of time to prove that he can be one of them, even though he continues to refuse to drink blood. Instead, he just drinks it from May. They, for a fair amount of the movie, it's just kind of them being drifters, killing hitchhikers and and things like that. And it leads up to basically what is essentially going to be his last chance when they take over a bar and kill the fuck out of it. Except for (laughs) one guy who gets away. 
He rats him out to the police. We get a shootout. You think this is the climax of the movie. But oh, no, there's still (laughs) lots of exciting stuff still to go. He manages to help them escape, which endears him to the group. Everything's going great until Homer decides he meets a little girl and decides he wants to make himself a child partner. But twist, it's actually Caleb's little sister. So there's a little scuffle and then he bounces with his parents and then the vampires come after him. Lots of vampires die, except for him and May. She's cured through a transfusion. Oh, I forgot about that. He gets cured through a transfusion. So then he gives her the transfusion, and they live happily ever, much truncated lives. (laughs) (laughs) So that is near dark in a very, very surface level. Yes. So let's talk (laughs) about this with all spoilers all the time. Let's get into it. Ariel, lay it on me. Okay. Yeah, I love this movie. Oh, one of the things I forgot to mention is that the transfusion thing is actually from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Which is it know. really? Yeah, I've never actually read it, but apparently I didn't that realize that. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? Because they're trying to save Lucy, mm-hmm. maybe? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's been, uh, I mean, been, I'm trying to think. I think I last time I saw Bram Stoker's Dracula, it was like junior high. <laughs> it's been a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, it definitely affected my impact and my aesthetic, but I don't know that I've seen it that many times. <laughs> okay. So anyways, what, what I was saying in the non-spoiler part about it using the Western stuff, I just love that so much because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it has so many of those pieces we're used to seeing, like the traveling, the shootout, those moral dilemmas, cowboys. Even the sun in a Western, you usually see people baking in the sun and people are, you know, have to try to get water and and things like that. And here it's like they're being burned alive by the sun. Yeah, I just think using that as the base point really worked well in this movie. And I just think the aesthetics of it are so cool. She, as a director, I think did a fantastic job in this, too, because I think there are a lot of really great shots in this movie. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, so beautiful. And they worked really hard, I guess, to have it look really sumptuous and rich at night. So they did mostly night shoots to get that. And the way that they lit people, she said, was like she used a very painterly technique to do that. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that it, you know, it really suits it. But there's also scenes like, okay, in the bar scene, which I know we'll talk about more, but there's a part where Lance Hendrickson, Jesse, he's sitting down and the light keeps sweeping across his face as the fan is spinning. And Mm -hmm. so you get this like dark and then light and dark and light. And especially on his face with the scars and where he's so sort of angry, it does such Mm -hmm. a good job of showing that off and showing sort of how menacing his character is. And then Mm -hmm. there's this scene towards the end where Caleb is on his horse and he's riding in. Yeah. And I love this scene because usually in Westerns, you get that scene where people are silhouetted against the sun. But here he's silhouetted against the fog and moon, which I just think looked so rad. It's so great. It's super cool. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where they're all standing on a hill. Yes. Uh That is so beautiful and so menacing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. And just the way that all the characters interact, too, and how mm-hmm. you they're terrible, right, and murdering people and being awful. But you get this real sense of camaraderie and family in them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I just love. And I think also it's sort of the moral complexities of Caleb's character as he's trying to kind of find his way through this, where he, you know, he's struggling because 
he doesn't want to kill anybody to feed right but he also clearly wants to be part of this family unit too and so he can't make himself kill to feed but he will shoot cops (laughs) to protect the family you know right it's really interesting because he's sort of and then there's the scene where he's really torn between this created family like you were saying and his actual family his dad and his sister and i think that that makes the movie so much more complex because it adds this real heart to it you know he knows that what they're doing is bad but he wants to be a part of it because he is in love with may and also i think he feels that unity between them too and because Mm -hmm. he knows he can't go home right until they figure out the whole transfusion thing yep i love that bar scene so much and the bar scene (laughs) is incredible because Bill Paxton just chews yes. it up. It's so mm-hmm. good. It's so good. It made me want to watch like every Bill Paxton movie because he's. I would hundred percent <laughs> do that with you. Can they all just be frailty over and over yeah, and over again? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's just he's so good, and he's playing this sort of psycho, amoral character. But he also there's like a little bit of camp to his performance too. Yes. He's so charismatic. He's so charismatic, even though what he's doing is despicable. It's so great. It's like he's torturing all these people in this bar and terrifying all these innocent bar people. But you just want to watch him do it, you know? It's totally compelling. Yeah. Part of it's because he's totally unpredictable and you don't know what he's going to do do. next. Mm -hmm. And this may tell you things about me, but he just oozes sex appeal yes <laughs> and like so, oh thank you that's part of it like when he picks up the hitchhikers yeah, or he's hitchhiking and he's all he's like, so charmed out yeah he's like get it and it's worth jacket. it it's worth it even when he's filthy <laughs> and his shirt is torn i'm still like hot mm, yeah hot <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, there's something just so infinitely watchable about him, and he has all the best lines. I pulled a couple of quotes that I just love, and honestly, I could have pulled a million Mm -hmm. more. The first one is when Caleb first meets him in the back of the van, and he's like, howdy, I'm going to separate your head from your shoulders. (laughs) Hope you don't mind none. (laughs) That's so good. And the other one is the next time they talk about uh, the spur on the back of his boot, Uh because he's threatening with the spur at this moment, which, by the way, we get such a great payoff for the spur in the bar scene. Woo! First, you're going to have to give me back my spur. Then I'm going to knock your tonsils through your asshole. <laughs> what do you think about them apples, huh? <laughs> He's so great in this. He's so He's great. So and great I love that this. he ad-libbed things, too. I think that's so cool. Yeah. The thing with the glasses and, the, I mean, two of the standout, because there's a handful of standout moments in that bar scene, which is the spurs, him on the bar. I mean, the whole approach yeah. When he comes up and he's just messing with that guy with the drinks. Yeah. That whole section is so great. It's just so, so good. He's terrifying. But you know, like when somebody just really loves what they do and it gets this, like almost in- <laughs> right, their infectious. Right. They're infectious. Yeah. He, his murdering is infectious. <laughs> in real life, no. In a movie? Yes. yes. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love the scene towards the end with the big rig where he's on the front. You know, he gets run over and he's, and he's just, just hanging tearing on. just parts out of the... <laughs> and his fa- so half his great. face is torn to pieces and he's just gleefully pulling pieces out of the engine of this truck. It's so great. It just... And it works. It just yeah. works. I don't know that many people could walk that fine line, like you said, of camp and just absolute... Like, he's terrifying. Yeah. He's a total so- psychopath. But he manages to find this 
very strange sweet spot. I think it it touches it tickles the part of my brain that makes me a Nick Cage fan. You know what I mean? I like, was going to ask you about that because there is shared DNA uh-huh, with those things. When he goes full yeah. Cage. It's the same kind of idea. Yeah, I think I just respond to completely unself conscious performance. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and that I makes think a lot of sense. that is what's happening here. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. And everybody oh, is so great. good in this movie. Mm-hmm. They all do such a great job in different ways. And Lance Henriksen is so awesome. And he's also kind of charming, too. I mean, even when oh, he... Oh, I love Lance Henriksen. Even when he has the love. line about fighting for the South and we lost. <laughs> yeah. You realize he's a, you know, Confederate very, soldier. and very yet, bad person. Right. And yet... <laughs> But he's charming. he was a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he has, he pulls off that weird, like, it's that outlaw yep. charisma mm-hmm. that makes you root for the bad guy. Again, a Confederate soldier vampire is not someone that I root for in real no, life. No, of course not. Not someone that I like <laughs> at all. But when Lynn Hendrickson delivers those lines and it's just all smooth Southern yep. vampire, you're like, ooh, and I'm in. Yep. <laughs> Oh, my God. The first time he turned around, I had forgotten that he had that braided duck tail. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the du- it's, I, I, was like, I it's can't so with the duck 80s. <laughs> Yes. This is what I'm saying. What I love about the aesthetic, it is this perfect marriage of 80s Western yeah. time traveler. Yeah. You know what I mean? And also the way that the dialogue is written feels like someone who is largely contemporary, but little old-fashioned things mm-hmm. slip into the dialogue right. that would if you had been alive since the 16, 17, 1800s, whatever the, those times were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's just so great. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I could watch absolutely. it again right now and be perfectly happy. I think it's that entertaining, you know? It's a perfect background movie, mm, too, because yeah. the music is so, so good. good. Yeah. It's so, so good. And you can just dip in and out of the movie because it doesn't actually really have much in the way of plot. That's true. Yeah. It's very light on plot. It's very heavy on mood and style. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it still works, but... It's not like an intricately plotted. Right. Yeah. There's not a ton of twists and turns. It's just going from kind of the setup to like shootout after shootout sort of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which it works for me anyway. Yeah. Really. It 100% works. So going back to something you mm-hmm. said about how you enjoyed that there was no exposition yeah. really, that it was all just sort of in dialogue. Yeah, it's just peppered na- in. Like naturally mm-hmm. weaved in. I love that about this. I found their, the world building really fascinating and then the characters each so intriguing. Each of them, maybe less so Diamondback, but especially Homer and Jesse have a pathos to those roles. Yes. And I wanted more. I could see a prequel to this movie being amazing. Yeah. The little tidbits we get like that they caused the Chicago fire. I want to know what their life was like before this. Mm-hmm. Not because I feel like the movie is missing it, but because they're even such with just a characters. tiny little. Yes. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. And I, I, I just find that the world building as as subtly and with light hand as it has, it totally caught my Yeah, my because, you know, they, they don't even ever use the word vampire in this entire movie. Oh, I guess they never do. No. Like, even when he's talking to his father, nope. he can't bring himself to say the word. Yeah. And there's not a lot of those sort of cliche vampire things like garlic, crosses, coffins, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's all mm-hmm. just in I don't world. even think they mm-hmm. have fangs, visible no, fangs they don't. at any point. No, they don't. Not at all. Uh-uh. Yeah. I, oh, the other thing. Sorry. But one more comment on the bar scene because yeah. I think it, it's germane. But it's so reserved in terms of the way that it shows its violence up until that scene 
that there's a catharsis that happens with that scene because you're like been waiting it's been building and hinting at violence for so long and so when it's kind of unreserved in this scene you feel like as a horror fan like a little bit of like a little release around it I think yeah because before that you see them being more kind of coldly manipulative in the way that they do it Mm -hmm. where Homer pretends to be injured and and like you were saying, Bill Paxton's And it cuts away. You don't see yeah, him exactly. really do anything. He pretends yeah. to be a hitchhiker and then, you know, flirts with these women and then the camera goes away. So this is the first time you really get that intense violence or really any violence at all. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. May, she's an interesting character too. And mm-hmm. her chemistry with Caleb is so great too. In that bar scene too, where she flirts with and kind of dances with that one guy who's well, just she's the honeypot. in tears yeah. because he's so terrified. And you can see uh-huh. the way she's like looking, you know, lovingly and sweetly at this guy that she's knows that she's setting up for a kill. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they each kind of have that their their thing that they do. I mean, less yep. so uh, I guess sort of like Diamondback and, and Jesse Cotton kind of wait for people to like be opportunistic towards them we see that we don't really get that much into their hunting style but severin that's true but it's clear they work together yeah absolutely but you're right and we should talk about that first scene because i actually feel like that first scene is those first i guess handful of scenes prior to the bite right Mm -hmm. the lead up to it we open the film on like a mosquito which is just kind of a fun ironic shot but after that it's this faux fight between young men it's very aggressive and then they spot this sort of lone girl eating an ice cream cone sort of innocent right basically vulnerable right this vulnerable young girl who's basically coding and giving every signal of being vulnerable and there's this courtship that happens with Caleb where he's circling her and treating her like prey Mm -hmm. and there's some ironic dialogue here but all of that setup is so reminiscent and coded in like you need to be scared for this girl because what is about to follow this is some degree of assault right and he keeps touching her touching her putting his arm around her her trying to kiss her he lassos Mm -hmm. her takes the keys away it makes you incredibly uncomfortable absolutely forces her to kiss him there's all Mm -hmm. of these things where you see he is really using dominance as a form of seduction and it's an, it's it feels dangerous because they're like alone, you know? Yeah. Well, and he pulls the car over and says he won't take her home unless she kisses him. Yeah. It's really coercive and not cool. Yeah. Until yeah. the bite happens and the truth is revealed yep. about her nature. And then what happens is there is this gender or dominance flip that happens. And throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the film, he is totally reliant on her. The only reason he's oh, yeah. living is because she is attracted to him. He literally feeds from her. His survival is based on her. And it's just... When I hear that this movie is not meant to be read as feminist, it's hard for me because of the uh, gender yeah. politics of it. Or <laughs> what? I mean, like it's so clear. I don't know how you couldn't see no. it. So I find it hard to believe that she didn't know that. I mean, she's the writer and director. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it. It's so every I've seen that that scene play out a hundred times. Mm-hmm. I've seen it played out sure. where it has a really disturbing end. I've had. A, seen that scene play out in creepy funny ways like in days and confused like the matthew mcconaughey character all of those kinds of things we know where this leads to typically in a narrative so it's interesting that not only does it get flipped for the sake of like haha it's a vampire movie but the dynamic is now set in stone through the runtime of the film yeah, even when they're sleeping, he's often curled up on her, mm-hmm. you know, his head on her chest. She's constantly physically putting herself in front yeah. of him, 
I'm keeping him out of harm's way. At the end of the movie, she leaps out of the car into the, like she does the things that typically are the damsel in distress and then the heroic sort of self-sacrificing hero. Yeah. She fill, fulfills those roles. And it shouldn't feel revolutionary, but it does, especially. Yeah, especially for 87. Exactly, exactly. Also, the way her sexuality is depicted is very Mm -hmm. non-objectified. She's beautiful, but she's, we never get close-ups of her butt. We never get, like, her, you know what I mean? There's no nudity. And then there is a menace to Diamondback's sexuality and her sensuality. Oh, yeah. And I just, you cannot tell me that this is, in 1987, has nothing to do with the fact that Catherine Bigelow's personal lived experience. There's, I just, it, it makes... My, the no, mind boggles. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, whether it's intention or not, the impact is, you know? Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, yeah so I, I love that about this movie. I read, I was reading, obviously, we always do a bunch of reading in preparation for this, and I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. what article it was. It was an article that talked about how female vampire films are inherently feminist because they are mm-hmm. about female women who have both the means and the motive, have both means and motivation. And that's kind of inherently feminist which mm, i thought i'm like yeah mm, this might explain part of why i really like movies like this <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think this movie is incredibly unique i think it gets a lot of love that des- is deserved but it doesn't get as much as it actually deserves i totally agree because it is a kind of cult classic mm-hmm. that you know people who are really into horror will often you know make reference to or have seen mm-hmm. it but but it, it's really a deep like cut, it's though. So good, yeah. yeah. It is a deep cut, and I feel like this should be incredibly popular because it is so good. Absolutely, <laughs> I just—it's such a time capsule of that time, but also, like you were saying, feels modern. Totally holds up. It's very entertaining. The performances are great. I just—I can't see how you could watch this and not enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Any cons? Uh, <laughs> not really. Me I, mean, <laughs> I mean, there's some lines, like I said, that do not hold up. Yeah, but... of course, of course. And there's the one scene where Homer, when he catches on fire, where the special effects are a little bit yeah. iffy. Yeah, that's fair. But the special effects in like every other part of this movie looked pretty fantastic, I thought. So all of the fire and smoke and stuff. I totally 100% agree, especially considering a lot of the special effects, which are largely practical, are so good. So when that yeah. one doesn't quite work, you're like, mm, okay, I see you there. Yeah. And I read that the reason that one looks a little funny is because the stunt actually went wrong. Like there was some malfunction with the smoke machine or something. And so they had to film it without it and then add it in afterwards. And it was 1987. So, you know, and yeah. not a huge budget. I mean, that's such a small criticism, though. Considering, oh, totally. Like, it's like yeah. barely worth mentioning. Yeah, I actually don't. I don't know that I really have any cons aside from, like I said, a couple of lines were not great, but also they were mostly spoken by people who were terrible. So <laughs> it could be that the character just sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. As much as I want to jump Bill Paxton's Jones bones, some of the things he said are they're not they're they're questionable. They're sus. <laughs> We didn't really talk about Homer, but I also just thought he was such an interesting character. Oh, I totally agree because it's just so – it's always interesting when you have a vampire character that's in a child's body, Mm -hmm. right? But here he's clearly been a vampire for a very long time and the way that he has this, you know, sort of depressed kind of sadness Mm -hmm. to him – And then this animal desire that he can't really fulfill and the way that that Mm -hmm. comes out with Caleb's little sister. 
it's so <gasps> sad and so terrifying and terrible mm -hmm. it makes him really interesting and yeah. then i also even liked the sort of light moments that he has with the family like when they're playing poker and he's smoking cigarettes and yeah when he's dancing on the bar while bill paxton's murdering people you know i thought for a kid actor he was actually really good yeah yeah did you ever see the movie final girls no, I actually haven't watched that. Pretty good. I always see people talk about it's it. It's like very meta where it's it. a girl whose mm -hmm, mother right. was a final girl ends up in the movie and they like reconnect. He wrote that. That that actor wrote that. That kid wrote it? Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. That's yep. awesome. Yep. 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 Nice. All right. Cool. So I feel pretty confident in my recommendation, which is it's good. You should watch it. Everybody. It's for everybody. 100%. Can I just say one last thing? Absolutely. I forgot to mention this earlier, but I think it's really sweet. I read this article about how in 2010 at the New Beverly Cinema, they did a screening of Near Dark and both Bill Paxton and Jeanette Goldstein showed up for the screening, watched with everybody and then answered questions and like took pictures. And some of the information I got about behind the scenes stuff was from that article of things that they said while they were there. Really? And it just seemed like... They really liked it. This was 2010. It's so many years later. Neither of them had to show up. I mean, Bill Paxton was so famous, mm -hmm. you know. I just think it was really sweet. Obviously, they cared about the movie. Yeah. I mean, it must be incredible to have been a part of something like this. Yeah. 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 Very cool. All right. Awesome. So we did actually get an email this time from... Ooh, okay. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So this comes from Peter. So subject line is more deadly. Matilda's second guest spot? Question mark. Oh, uh-huh. Just curious if either of you hear it or if it's just me. But if you said that Matilda directed Midnight Swim, I would have just nodded and said, cool, that's great. Good for her. <laughs> to my ear, Sarah Adina Smith sounds very similar to Matilda, tone, quality, articulation, etc. Did you notice oh, that's that? that's so interesting. I didn't, but I'm going to have to go back and listen to Me that too. interview. Me too. Me too. I also get pretty nervous during the interviews, so it's entirely possible that I didn't even <laughs> register <laughs> like if they were full super fugue. <laughs> full fugue. <laughs> <laughs> but that's super interesting. I'm totally going to have to go back and listen. Yeah. She has a great voice. She so. does, as does Matilda. Yep. In terms of quality, pedigree of voice, I would agree. I, but I have to actually <laughs> listen to see if it actually like sounds the same. Okay, so Peter says, I only get to hear Matilda's lovely voice on Zombie Girls once or twice a month. One of many lovely voices. Thank you. Throw me a bone. <laughs> <laughs> the four uh, plus one Mars plus one Jody. I really miss hearing Jody. Yeah, that's two. Someday, someday she'll come back. I just know it. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm way off. More Deadly is fantastic. To hear the odd current events and misadventures of Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> These are just the ones that make it into the show, Peter. <laughs> you can hear the pre-show. <laughs> Magic, pure and simple. Boosting female identified directors is just a bonus. I get to learn about films not on my radar. Some of us have weaker signals or simply don't pay to get shutter on the like. <laughs> then you have the audacity to land some awesome interviews. Very much like getting a DVD extra. Oh, that's amazing. That's oh, so cool. I, I love, love that. that. Uh, I really appreciate the question of the director on the director's cut episodes. What question have you not been asked that you wish someone would ask during interviews? I have long wanted to ask this. Were I the kind of person to talk to people and interview them for some reason? Wonderful. <laughs> that is Rachel's question. It's awesome. Oh, is it? I don't even know. Yeah, we get good answers for that. 
I know. I, I feel like we should maybe let people know we're going to ask that because every time they're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, like, like, let me think about it for a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful to hear it in highly capable hands. Well, that is true of, of Ariel, <laughs> but I will sneak I into that. I will sneak into that compliment <laughs> and absorb it as well. Thanks for the current and continuing education, Peter. Oh, that was such a nice letter. Yeah. Thank you so much, Peter. It's really nice to hear from people that they're enjoying the stuff that we do because it does take a lot of work to do the research and mm-hmm. do the interviews and put it all together. And it's great to hear that people are enjoying it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, we always joke about, like, we're just shouting into the void and occasionally the void shouts yeah. back. <laughs> <laughs> but especially something like, because, you know, I think we're both people who love doing this but also are kind mm-hmm. of shy people. So yes. whenever we put ourselves out there, it's a little nerve-wracking. So it is because nice most of the time I just pretend that nobody listens to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I get through my day. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Like full, like I told you, full fuke, whatever. It's so funny because we have uh, our friend and listener, Kat, who's always out of nowhere will quote something from a podcast, even if it's a recent one, but sometimes it's a few back and I'm like, I have n- no idea what you're talking about. Not because <laughs> right. the, your your question is not totally valid and not because it's totally something I should remember, but I just, the way that I cope is to just completely <laughs> forget, forget everything I've said. <laughs> it's gone. It's, it's, as soon as I hit publish, it's gone. It's done. It's, gone. it's over. Good. Otherwise I will, th- that is a learned anxiety response from uh-huh. a decade of podcasting. <laughs> so you don't end up in a constant shame hole. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I don't even know how I got <laughs> on this. But anyways, thank you so much, Peter. Would love hearing from you guys. If you want to drop us a line, you can always do so at rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can come chat with us over on the Zombie Girls Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ZG Podcast and slide into the DMs or drop comments. We'd love to hear from you. If you are enjoying the show, do us a huge favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your pods, including Spotify, which now allows for star ratings. So if you're enjoying the show on on Spotify, it'd be dope if you could just go in and give us five stars. And if you're looking for some cool new merch, you know what to do. Zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. I will say we have some new merch coming soon. Yes, we're so excited. Yes, I'm so, so actually the person, the artist I've been talking to, she had amazing ideas. So okay, there might be more than one design as soon as I can scrape together a little more scratch. (laughs) (laughs) So buy some shirts so I can afford to make new merch. (laughs) Anyway, uh, and if you love us and you really want to support us, you want to throw some money at us, we will happily accept it. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls where you get a ton of awesome perks, especially in 2022. Every episode on the network is extended on Patreon. Today, we're going to be talking about vampires, obviously. So (laughs) we're going to have some fun. I have a fun game planned for Ariel and some other stuff. So you should definitely stick around and listen to that. Join Patreon to hear the whole thing. And we have some really awesome bonus content planned. Like uh, if you're a Cast of Coffee fan, DJ and I have a bonus episode lined up that will be out later in, well, I guess technically we're still in January, but I think this is dropping February, right? I don't know. Anyway, in February. Uh. It'll be out in February. <laughs> anyway. And for those of you who are already patrons, thank you, thank you, thank you. It means the world to us. Okay. So that just leaves our plan for the next episode. So it is my turn to select a movie. And there is a movie that I always see come up and I have been meaning to watch forever. And I don't know why I haven't. And one of the great things about this show is it 
sometimes we just go in totally blind and find, you know, movies that we didn't even know how much we'd love them. And I'm I'm hoping that's the case for this one as well, because like I said, it, it keeps keeps seeing it on lists of good horror films directed by women. Not that they aren't all good. I love all of them equally. So <laughs> this one is, I don't know if you've seen this. Have you seen the movie Soulmate directed by XL Carolyn? No, neither. I have not. So we're going to be watching that for the next episode. And here is the synopsis. Widowed Audrey retreats to an isolated Welsh cabin after a failed suicide attempt to recuperate. Still haunted by the tragic death of her husband and struggling with her psychosis. So this is going to be an uplifting one. (laughs) She begins to hear strange noises. I love a ghost story. I, I, I love a Welsh cabin. I'm in. Yeah, no, this sounds great. And, you know, we follow the director on Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter mm-hmm. and stuff. And she posts tons of behind the scene photos of all the things she's been up to. But I have to say that I also love that we follow her because she also posts lots of pictures of her really cute dog named Anubis. <laughs> it's one of those Basenji dogs that has a little curly tail. Oh, my God, it's so cute. And it's always on set with her and stuff. Okay, that's adorable. <laughs> Like, I wasn't already fangirling yeah. just because she's a director. <laughs> now you got to tell me she has a cute dog. Great. Okay. So I'm looking to see where you can get your hands on this. And it looks like it's very rentable. It's a couple bucks on Amazon, Voodoo, Apple TV. It's more expensive on Apple TV for some reason. Oh, maybe because it's HD. I don't know. Anyway, so easy to get your hands on. And that is what we will be doing. Awesome. All right. Cool. So that is what we're going to be watching for the next episode. On that note, Ariel, you want to take us out? Thanks for listening to another episode of the More Deadly Podcast. I hope you liked our review of Near Dark. And if you're a patron, I guess we're going to be talking about more vampire stuff. So that should be interesting. Stick with us. Otherwise, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host and good friend, Ariel, for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Sharton. Welcome to More Deadly After Dark, the extended episode where we're going to be talking about vampires. We're we're really going to sink our teeth into the subject. Oh, punny. (laughs) Do you remember when I called people before the show? Wait, what? Joyless fucks. Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Probably cut that. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Oh no. Uh, This is what I get if I if I want to cut, make myself look good. I should probably edit it myself. But I'm I'm like, oh, my desire to have a good image versus my laziness. Uh, no because i fear you would cut out too many of the funny things you say funny <laughs> funny or i can leave them in <laughs> <laughs> oh my god anyway so like i said we're gonna be talking vampires today we've been on a little bit of a vampire spree um, yeah it is so weird to me that we picked near dark before girl that scary had decided what movie yeah. they wanted to pick and then they picked another not only vampire but vampire western yeah like clearly yeah. the two like a massive influence meant right to be. yeah <laughs> oh my goodness yeah i mean it's been kind of fun though i'm actually really glad it worked out that way because i feel like had i not watched them back to back like this i would have missed so much of that connective yeah. tissue that really yeah, totally kind of like i always think Part of what we're doing here is like getting excited about like new stuff, but also part of it is like in some 
respect, like a little bit of a historical document, mm-hmm. right? That we're like talking about new horror films directed by women, old horror films directed by women, like, and, and yeah, sometimes influences and, you know, multiple ones by the same director because they like the first time we talked about their movie, it was like their first movie. And then now it's a year later yeah. or two years later and it's the next movie's out, you know, the, so I think to some degree, I don't know where I was going this, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of love that we're able to kind of make those connections because I do feel like this is like a, a, a like, what do, they, what do they call it? Like a vocal, not a vocal, like a, you know, like a tradition where you like tell stories, oral, hor- it's mm-hmm. sort of like an oral history of women in horror, I think. Yeah. Some, like it wasn't necessarily yeah, what we like set that. out to do, but it's kind of be a little bit, that's it's an aspect that. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm way up my own butt right now, which is a place that <laughs> no, I reside I quite really frequently. Nice oh my God. <laughs> I either have a tinfoil hat or my butt on my head at all times. <laughs> anyway, this has been a weird day. I'm just going to say it's been, a, yeah, I don't It has. I don't know. We've been all over the place today. I appreciate you putting up with me. I'm unbearable. <laughs> You're not unbearable. Just barely bearable. For the last like three hours. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's let's get into it. Let's talk vampires. So I have a few different things we're gonna do. I have a quiz. I have a little game, and I have Ooh, a story. Okay. okay, cool. So I'm gonna start with because I know obviously vampires are fictional, supposedly, as big vampire <laughs> wants you to believe. But I went in search of like weird real life vampires, and I found a very strange story. What? Yes. Okay. Okay. So this is Nuremberg's extra real vampire emphasis on <laughs> extra. <laughs> and it comes from a story on Mysterious Universe written by Brent Swancer. So I, I'm basically stealing some of his stuff. So I want to credit him appropriately. Okay. But this, this is a weird one. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Okay. So, okay. So begin. getting into? Um... <laughs> Okay, why don't we do this? What? Okay, it is the the Nuremberg's extra real vampire emphasis on extra. What do you think the story is going to be about? I don't know. Somebody who's like crazy dramatic and pretends to be a vampire. Mm, that's a good theory. It's much less upsetting than what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. So this starts in the uh, in April 1971. Following a spate of uh, gruesome and strange crimes carried out over several cemeteries around Nuremberg in Bavaria, Germany. In a cemetery? Yes. So a series of already dead corpses. I would hope they're already dead if they're corpses. (laughs) I'm just going to put that out there. I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to be a stickler for... uh, But... Anyway, um, all right, so a series of already dead corpses began showing up exhumed from their graves in the night and exhibiting signs that someone had bitten and gnawed on them. On the corpses? So this is a cannibalism story, but of dead bodies. All right, if you, if you hang on no. a moment, it's, it's oh, going to get worse. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> 